0: some tre trauma release exercise and then after i was done i was laying there and so i decided or it occurred to me to try to do a back bend to just lift myself up backwards and i remember trying maybe a year ago or something and i couldn't do it Whereas I could do it two years ago when I was in manic consciousness and I was on the slimmer side as well. When I tried a year ago, I tried to lift myself up and I couldn't. And so I tried this morning and I totally could. And I will insert the picture here. So yeah, talk about power poses. Amy Cuddy talks about power poses. I wonder if she studied the back bend. How many people can do one? I couldn't even do one when I was a kid. So it just goes to show that as the ego loses its hold, as consciousness is freed up from matter, from gravity, from being inflexible, it becomes more flexible. The body becomes more flexible and it becomes stronger too our own thoughts weaken our body. I watched a clip by Neil Hilborn and it's a three minute clip of him using the spoken word and it's sort of like bipolar poetry and he's talking about bipolar and different aspects of it. And he talks about how he's seen the future and different things like that and it's quite good. But really, many of the things he said are kind of delusional if you think about it. He says he's seen the future. What is he talking about? Whereas a person that has experienced trans consciousness, bipolar consciousness, map consciousness, has seen the future in a way because consciousness is non-local. It can kind of go anywhere when it is freed up from the matter of the brain, from the circuits of the brain, from the ego scar tissue. And it was also interesting about, he talked about how he sees the future kind of like gravity where we're all coming together as one. And it's interesting that he talks about gravity because I've felt some kind of change in gravity in the process. And I feel like there's a change in the center of gravity, there's a change in the center of consciousness, and this is part of this co-creative process that's unfolding. And in a way, I feel like, if now is eternity and we're all here, there's a certain number of people at higher states of consciousness and they exist in a different world because they're relating and and communicating in a different way. They might actually occupy the same physical space, but other people at lower levels of consciousness are never gonna come into communication with them because they don't resonate with that. So in a way, There are different worlds even though it's the same space-time and our own world is within our consciousness and our consciousness has to be in that particular level of consciousness in order to interact with those people at that level so in a way going into map consciousness and higher levels one is seeing and interacting at a different level which seems like a future world but it's actually a world that's happening now it's just that our consciousness level isn't at the point where we're unfolding and experiencing that reality as now for us so it's future for us but that actual reality is reality for some people and so then we fall down to prior levels of consciousness sometimes the momentum of the fall makes us dip into lower levels ones that we don't necessarily occupy on a daily basis but it definitely recalibrates us to the fact of the existence of those levels and it shows us what happens when we exist in those levels of consciousness and part of the, our prevailing level of consciousness is actually our family our friends our, our whole life so that's why being at higher levels and then coming back down to one's life situation and no longer operating in that higher reality, that other reality, it feels like death and it also feels awful and it also feels like a hangover. Coming back to one's regular monotonous life is like a hangover and then a lot of us, once we've gone to those other realities in consciousness, same place and time, it's just a different level of consciousness when we come back to this level of consciousness, this stuff seems pretty meaningless and crappy. And so it's difficult to actually get back into it. So it's difficult for people to recover back into buying into the crap that they used to buy into because at higher levels of consciousness, that crap is, no longer has any value. So since we come back down, we still have that sense that this has no value but at the same time, we're in a reality that values that and then is trying to get us to recover back into valuing that which we temporarily transcended. And so it's, again, important to design one's life to end the trance of being stuck in this level of consciousness. And it's also the morphogenetic field of the society that one lives in because that level of there's a certain level of consciousness that created this society. And so when we go off into map consciousness, we're no longer participating in the reality that we've created for ourselves, the mechanical habitual one. We feel free and we feel like we're in this free reality because our consciousness is free but then we fall back down into the prevailing level of consciousness but it still did something a change in consciousness is probably one of the only actions because a a change in consciousness in one affects the consciousness of the many because it's all one consciousness being filtered through us as bodies we're like filters of consciousness and our brain filters consciousness through our thoughts But if we are not blinded by our thoughts, then we actually can see clearly. And when we can see clearly, we learn. And when we learn, our consciousness level goes up. If we're seeing the same thing all the time, we're stuck in the same level of consciousness. So I also liked his spoken word thing because it shows that he has a gift, he has talents. He's using language in a different way. He's using it in a creative way. He's become a bipolar poet he's not repeating linear past memories he's he's putting he's translating some of his perceptions into transformative communication and that's part of what we need to learn as transconscious individuals well how do we translate what we see into something that is some form of communication that will allow other people to see the same thing not necessarily the same thing, but maybe see that they don't see. So if he can stand there for three and a half minutes and spout off brilliant poetry, not just saying a few words and repeating them for three and a half minutes, but actually very creative structures of language and very intentional and very, he had to see that in order to create that to say so it was a creative perception that created that so that creative perception might allow others to see that it's a creative perception never mind if they can't see exactly what he's saying never mind if they can't see the future they can maybe see that he saw the future so that maybe makes them see that seeing something else is possible so there's so many levels to that and so many layers and it's just it's pretty beautiful so it's wonderful that he's able to express things that way and able to in order to show his brain hasn't gotten duller, his brain hasn't gotten more defective. If anything, he sees way too much. If he can see the future, he's seeing too much. And it might only be too much because other people don't see it too. And I was thinking about how when people make small talk about the weather, in a way, it's a way for us to talk showing that we're seeing the same thing at the same time like oh isn't it rainy today yes yes it is oh hasn't it been horrible lately yes yes it has been so we're seeing the same thing at the same time and in that way we form a connection now can we take that sort of small talk scenario of seeing the same thing at the same time and apply that to higher levels of perception like can somebody see that somebody might be able to see the future and if we can see that then we're not necessarily going to label and pathologize that person because we might say well i can't right now but i can see that others might be able to Makes sense i can understand that so seeing is the only action the act of perception If we don't see something, we can't act on it. And perception acts on the brain. And if something doesn't act on our brain, it's not acting on us at all. So in terms of saying things that are out there because he said he can see the future, well, I've seen the future too. I kind of forget and that's part of seeing the future is is forgetting about it because if you're seeing it all the time well then it's it's difficult to operate and if you see the future and then you try and make it something to memorize well then you're making it into a pattern and then you're back in ego consciousness so perception might be in the moment now it might be something seemingly futuristic it's important to forget all of them because as soon as you cling to something there's a stuckness it's it's clinging to the ego the very act of clinging creates the ego the clinger is what is clung to so i feel bipolar is actually learning to walk in both worlds the world of thought the world of consciousness filtered through thought and the world of consciousness, sensitivity of direct perception and action. There's the world that thought creates, which is the prevailing level of consciousness. And then there's the world that consciousness creates through direct perception. If we were to directly perceive now and into infinity, we would all work together like ants and create something different. And that would be sort of the gravity of what he was talking about. Pulling us all together as one. To be one, we need to be cooperating. To be one consciousness. It's sort of like when the field of consciousness meets the field of gravity without being warped by thought, without being warped by sound. It's actually this warping, this sound barrier of the ego that makes us feel like we're separate. It makes us feel like we're separate things because it's judging things instead of observing things and thought is a distortion of the past I feel like map consciousness is actually shedding of the past, it's brain molting I feel like there actually is a metamorphosis in the brain, a mutation, and part of the brain actually molts, or it could melt and become more fluid Because the brain is made out of fat and it's very fluid and it could just be a change in fluidity of the brain cell membranes and the brain cells themselves and when it is fluid like that it actually molds so the ego dying process when it feels like we're dying we're actually experiencing a re-hardening of the brain and the ego structures are coming back into play and we realize that we're going back into prison. And again, people with map consciousness are gifted people. We're just getting acquainted with our gifts as we learn to walk in both worlds. Yesterday I was feeling tired and I was feeling tired for a few days and I figured that maybe if I watch a few hours of TV, it'll give my brain a chance to be in passive mode and to rest up a little bit. Being in trans consciousness, in sensitive perception, the brain gets tired and I was thinking about how normal waking consciousness is like being half asleep, whereas map consciousness is being fully awake so, if I watch TV, that's something that normal consciousness does, and it puts them even more asleep. It's probably like three quarters asleep, but I feel like it put me half asleep because I was just passively watching this thing in my focal vision. And so it blocks perception, it blocks sensitivity. And so that was almost a way for my brain to sleep for a while to get some rest and it totally worked. I was watching this show called The OA on a friend's recommendation and it's interesting because it's about near-death experiences and I feel like if near-death experience is replaced by Map consciousness or psychosis they're talking about almost the same thing because a person has a death experience or they actually die and they come back and they're saying they come back with gifts and well person goes through trans consciousness they come back with gifts just like a person with near-death experience they come back and they almost died it takes some time to recover they probably just don't spring up like, oh, I'm ready to get back to life tomorrow. So in a way, I feel like map consciousness is also a near-death experience. Once one comes out of it, it's just a longer near-death experience and it's, it's trying to scramble and destroy the ego structures in order for a person to come back to this world and be different in the world. There's a part in the show where she swallows a bird whole and then that sort of gives her a power when she's in this death experience. And I thought it was interesting because the very first time I was in map consciousness and I decided to move towards death because I handcuffed myself somewhere so I would stay still because I thought I was going to jump off the balcony. Interestingly enough, I didn't jump. And when I lay down, the first thing I experienced was being a bird flying south. So it's almost like maybe part of me did jump and became the bird. But since I didn't jump, I became the bird anyway and I remember actually laying there and all I could feel was that my mouth was like going like this and I was actually making a tweeting sound but I don't know if I just heard that in my mind or if that was coming out of my mouth, but I could feel my mouth moving. So I was this bird flying south and then consciousness, my consciousness went into being a homeless person laying on the side of the street. And then I felt this angel trying to take me, but, and it felt like this big white light And it felt so warm and loving. And they tried to take me, but I was handcuffed to the balcony, so I remember almost, almost feeling like I was being lifted up, but then it pulled, even though I was still laying there. But I remember feeling that sensation, and then feeling like, ah oh, darn, I have to stay here because I'm handcuffed. And then when my, parent, when my family came in the morning and found me, and they flipped me over, I felt like I felt like I was dead, but I felt like I was at the scene of a car accident, and I was dying at the scene of a car accident, and they had just come to my side. And I never opened my eyes that whole time. Except for one time, when I looked at my arm and I saw blood all over it. But then I just closed my eyes. That was the only time I opened my eyes. And, and then when I, when they finally grabbed me, Then when the paramedics came, they squashed my finger and I winced. And then I knew I was alive. But I was surprised because... When I think about it now, I I feel like my consciousness or consciousness left my body for sure. So even though my body was still physically alive, I was kind of technically dead in a way because it was... It was almost like it was trying to leave my body. It did leave my body, it went to a bird, it went to a homeless person, it went to having wrists that were bleeding or something. I don't know. And it went to being at a scene of a car accident. It went all these places. And then it came back to my body. I'm seeing some stuff that I shouldn't really talk about right now, but... There's something around indestructibility. So most of us are communicating from our past. Map consciousness gives us access to future communication, which is seeing the new, which is sort of like seeing the future in a way because it's something new it's bringing the new into the present moment as opposed to the old which is the past so it's a different movement just as gravity is a force that pulls us together I feel like consciousness is a force that pulls us together too our level of consciousness is what pulls whatever into our reality through the resonance of that consciousness. So more and more people resonating at that level is what is going to pull that possible future into the present moment. People are afraid of map consciousness because they're afraid of the power of the human brain. It's very powerful. And I'm wondering I've read that our ears emit sound. And I wonder if people who go into map consciousness can actually hear this without hearing it or read that energy as part of being able to read the pattern of somebody. So in that way, it could be one of the ways that we can tell when people are being judgmental and negative and and it makes us feel kind of sick to our stomach. And the power of the human brain requires sensitivity which requires egolessness and so these powers of the human brain can't be used for personal gain they can't be used for evil because that which is evil is the ego and if it's there you can't be that sensitive and you can't be that powerful So it could perhaps be the only way to power is to selflessly want other people to see their power. Which is their power to see. Which has nothing to do with me and my ego and nothing to do with the other person and their ego feel like the heart can actually pick up on the sound coming out of other people's ears possibly so the heart beats and then the pattern of the sound coming out of the person's ear is picked up by the heart when it pings back this morning I had to email somebody and I was thinking oh I could just leave them a message but then I realized if I left them a message, they would have to write stuff down. So if I'd email, then they don't have to write stuff down. And then from there, I was imagining, what if we lived in a world where we couldn't write stuff down, or we couldn't put stuff in our calendar, or we couldn't record things in general? In that world, it would be advantageous to be super perceptive and sensitive in the moment, to know how to just act moment to moment. If we couldn't record anything, if we couldn't remember anything beyond our working memory, like the seven bits of information or something, we would really have to be sensitive and know how to read people. And then you might think, well, you'd have to remember stuff in order to be sensitive to stuff. But it's not necessarily true because we would evolve the sensitivity of perception and understanding at the same time because if i have to remember this detail and that detail and that detail i'm projecting those details onto the moment and i'm not actually seeing the moment so that's the very point where the whole projecting memories onto the moment It's about judging things in order to act instead of seeing things and acting. If I want to turn on my kettle, I just look at it and press the button. I don't have to judge the kettle in order to understand the kettle. But we project our judgments onto things and then we don't understand it. Because the judgment is from the past. So by clogging ourselves up with memories and programs where we've programmed ourselves out of being in touch with the present moment. We're seeing our past knowledge as the 50% and so mania is an attention to the present moment 100% and that's why people have a bad memory. I remember actually turning on the kettle and then letting it boil dry because I forgot about it. Because I was on to the next thing. I actually like to have things in view i don't like closed cupboards and things like that because if i can't see it i'm not going to remember it because my brain works more on attention it sees something and then it knows to do it instead of thinking about what it needs to do so this morning i was getting ready and then I just looked at my hands. I didn't think I'm going to look at my hands. I just looked at them. And I noticed my nails were long. So I cut them. So when the brain relies on to-do lists and, and plans and everything, it's so busy looking at its plans, its abstractions about life, that it doesn't see life. And so it relies on plans. So I stopped making to-do lists probably about six months ago. I used to have daily to-do. I do have some in my calendar on my computer because I need to at least keep track of appointments and things. And I do have tasks that I need to do. But I used to put things on my to-do list like cut nails. There's quite a few things that I've been able to just export to perception. Just wait until I see it and notice it. And then do it. So, when I saw that my nails were long, I could have walked over and put it on a to do list cut nails. But I sort of put it in my mind that I'll cut my nails when I'm straightening my hair. And the way I remembered was actually to move my nail clippers from their storage place to on my sink where I get ready. So that way, I gave myself a visual reminder of what I needed to do. If I wouldn't have moved that, I might have forgot. This might seem trivial, but when we start to use our visual field to remind us instead of abstract words and computers, then we get our brain more attuned to starting to look into the present moment but that was like half an hour later. And I didn't forget, and I did cut my nails. But if I would have forgotten, I would have seen it again some other time. So things that we can see, we don't necessarily have to put on to-do lists. That's one way to untrain the brain from to-do lists, is to actually leave some things up to perception to notice, physically. Back to brain molting. I see the ego as this rigid shell blocking the fluidity of the brain. And when it cracks, if somebody experiences trauma or shattering their belief systems in some way, then that crack sort of expands and the brain can have a tendency to molt. And then it's more fluid and it's doing that in order to actually rearrange some of its mental models to assimilate that experience and then in map consciousness when things are so fluid and then one comes back and that shell sort of reforms again in order to keep one grounded in consensus reality to some degree when one hits that low point it's still important to look back and rearrange one's mental models again of the experience of map consciousness so map consciousness rearranges mental models and then we come back and then we need to look back and rearrange mental models rearrange our life redesign our life recreate ourselves from some of the information of that experience and that's harvest your mania practice your mania embody your mania create a world where we don't have to walk around with these ego shells the trouble is when we hit the bottom of this recrystallization process when consciousness gets filtered down to a point where we're recrystallized in this consensus reality we're no longer perceiving at that other level we're pathologized when it takes time to heal just like it takes time to heal after any kind of transformation even when the butterfly emerges from the chrysalis It has to take some time to let its wings expand, let it dry off, you know, pick off the last bits of the chrysalis that was a protective house, but is no longer serving a person. Just like the ego is a protective house, but it's no longer serving us. We've pathologized brain metamorphosis. Just as going in a freezing cold lake will make us shake, we can actually consciously over time get acclimated to that lake. We can put our feet in one day, then we can put up to our knees the next day, then up to our waist, then up to our neck the next day, and then we get all the way in for one second, then the next day two seconds, and then all of a sudden we can stay in this freezing cold lake for a minute or two minutes. But we have to go and put ourselves in that freezing cold lake. What I'm saying is map consciousness is sort of like that. It's like we've been thrown into a freezing cold lake, but we've never had a chance to get acclimated and it just feels cold because we're not used to it. So map consciousness happens in the opposite way. We're put in a cold lake for a long period of time without the chance to get acclimatized. But then after when we come back, we can actually move towards consciously making ourselves acclimated to that medium, to that way of being. So then if we get thrown in the cold lake again, it's not going to feel cold. So I feel like even with map consciousness at some point, It doesn't feel like some kind of different altered state. It doesn't feel like a non-ordinary state of consciousness. It doesn't feel like an extraordinary state of consciousness. It feels like our ordinary state of consciousness. So the real beauty of it is making it feel ordinary. Because we're all extraordinary and we're all ordinary at the same time there's a lot of people out there trying to be extraordinary yet it's the universe that extraordinizes us we've been normalized into mediocrity and the universe comes in and extraordinizes us it gives us a different map it gives us something else and another way to move towards it's not just something else to move towards it's a different way of moving that will move us towards that something else. The brain is trying to acclimate to perception to sensitivity, just like it takes time to adjust to bright lights if we've been in the dark for a long time. But eventually we do adjust. It's an adjustment in our perception. We go from ego deception to hyperperception And so the first time our brain molts, it feels very sensitive and it feels very raw. Whereas the next time and the next time, we're more used to that raw state, so it doesn't feel as raw. And we're not recognizing this as brain growth. We're not recognizing this as the brain breaking its own barriers. The brain is growing roots into consciousness itself instead of just being rooted in the ego. Some plants have one long root going down. It's a tap root. Whereas other plants have very branchy roots. Well, we have a tap root, one branch, one track mind of the ego in terms of desire. And then when we grow roots into consciousness, our brain cells grow into consciousness. It's like they're growing consciousness. By growing into consciousness, the brain cell growing roots into consciousness, it's growing us as different plants as different trees of human beings and this molting wouldn't be necessary if our brain was never made dull insensitive stuck hardened by the ego and again it's just the brain trying to learn its neuroplasticity so once We get used to this neuroplastic process happening in our brain and always learning. It's also about what do we do with what we're learning? Or how do we share in this learning? And I've talked about before how part of this process of self-dialogue is just to get that energy to move through myself for myself, I wouldn't have said all this if I wasn't talking to myself in this way. And it's possible that it will prevent that extreme spurt from happening because I'm consistently engaging my brain in this way. Engaging my brain about the perceptions it perceives, engaging the seer a lot of us just engage the mirror what am what are my emotions what am i this what am i that we're not actually learning about learning and life itself we're concerned about that which drains our life energy the ego process i don't even think the ego is a process it's like a congealing of the neurons thinking this thought and associating it to this thought, and then all of a sudden these nerves are all strung together, and we think we're this linear tunnel of thoughts and judgments and opinions that we have, when we're the whole brain. We're not using our whole brain. A phrase came to me today. Waiting forever for nothing to happen. I don't know what that really means, but now that I think about it could be something related to surrender also the desireless state and it's waiting just waiting and witnessing forever eternity which is always now for nothing to happen for no thing to happen for that thing that tries to make things into things to not happen and we think we're creatures, we think we're these passive things We think we're these things, but we're actually creators. Even bacteria create the atmosphere or create the soil conditions necessary for the plants to grow. So it's all connected. It's all one thing, even though we think things are separate things. I feel like psychosis is an ego layer forming. So generally people go up into mania and it's all wonderful. But as the ego layer is reforming, as those neurons are starting to congeal, it's almost like it's almost like ice and water. So when water's liquid, it is liquid, and then when it freezes, it's ice. So in a way the ego reforming is just like water to ice. It's almost like the energy is being diverted back into those frozen neurons, those narrow reality tunnel tracks. And it's it feels scary because one has gone from being so expansive and using one's whole brain, and the brain and the perceptual field is starting to narrow down. And so what actually feels like death is the narrowing of the perceptual field. And that's probably just what death is in the physical body, it's like our perceptual field just gets smaller and smaller as the oxygen is withdrawn from our system but then we go somewhere. Just like I experienced consciousness leaving my body, going somewhere else, whether I actually physically died or not, the perceptual field of my body narrowed down to next to nothing, and then consciousness went somewhere else. Consciousness as perception probably can never be destroyed. We think matter can't be destroyed, but it takes a perceptual apparatus to see the matter that is the matter of one's personal reality. And so when that is withdrawn, where does all that matter and energy go that was what was projected and experienced and fed back to the being whose perception disappeared? I feel like bipolar, trans consciousness is, it's a different language, so then we use language differently. It's the language of perception. It's the language of seeing and putting words to what we see instead of what we saw. When we say our judgments, we're saying what we saw, we're not saying what we see. Judgments are programmed from the past, so anything that's a judgment is something we saw before and decided to form into program, which prevents us from seeing and saying what we see. Transconscious people are poets and Normal conscious people are know-its, as in know-it-alls. When you don't know anything, you can see the magic of the universe. You can see. Knowing prevents seeing. Judging, as in knowing, prevents seeing. Trans consciousness is like metaphor consciousness. It's seeing the similarities. It's simile consciousness. Instead of... Perceiving differences and judging in order to separate things and categorize. It's seeing similar things, to see patterns and make relationships. We see the relationship between everything, not the division, not the measured value projected from our conditioned thoughts of society. When we're not measuring everything with our mind, we can see the immeasurable, which is the relatedness of things because if two things are related then each of those things that are related are related to something else and something else and something else at infinitum so all of a sudden we see that everything has this value of relatedness instead of all these false values we superimpose on things in order to justify our destruction of it when we see how things are related it's very difficult to destroy things because we see that if we're related to that which we're relating to and we destroy what we're relating to we're destroying ourselves I was thinking my videos to myself maybe should come with a warning label and perhaps it's too late that do not listen if you're not prepared to have your ego molt. If it molts in favor of raw perception and in favor of sensitivity, you may just have to act on what you perceive and that might just change things. If you don't see it, you won't act. And only that which doesn't want to see can see because want is desire and desire blocks perception when you see without the ego as consciousness consciousness acts on the brain cells and grows new brain cells so you can see and act the only action is in the brain everything else happens if we couldn't learn to eat, if we couldn't learn to make food and eat we would need somebody else to feed us if we can't learn to see, if we can't learn perception, perception is learning then we need other people's perceptions and we need to record those. So once we start seeing things that starts to erase other people's perceptions because you can see things for yourself and the brain will always favor seeing something clearly for yourself over something somebody else told you to believe. I wonder too if the sound coming out of our ears is our inner voice, and it's so faint that most of us don't hear it, and we can't hear it because our brain is so loud, but if our brain was quiet, if there's sound coming out of our ears, we're gonna hear that sound that comes out of our ears. I've heard the term edutainment, which comes from entertainment and education, and I was thinking about enter brainment, thinking about that which thinks, seeing that which sees, looking at how we look, zooming out, that show The OA, this is a spoiler alert, so don't listen to the next 20 seconds, it's about recording the soundscapes of the other side of the death realm, I think that when people go into map consciousness and they're perceiving higher levels of consciousness and they're talking, they're actually creating the soundscape of those other worlds that other people don't have the brain cells to see. But if they listen to somebody who can see that, their brain cells might actually grow because sound creates brain cells. And the perception of what that sound is pointing to and seeing that it's giving voice to that other half we all share. It's a different soundscape. And is creating a different brainscape. Which will create a different heartscape, which will create a different landscape. But instead we're made into scapegoats. Blind people turn us into scapegoats. In terms of blindness as well. I had this insight and I don't know if it's true that once we're able to integrate and and walk between worlds we might have a tendency to be fearful of how we are and being captured but if we're able to integrate and speak in this other way and be in this other way people who are blind won't really notice what we're doing so we don't necessarily have to be afraid. It could be challenging with people that already know us. So if somebody thinks they know you, it's probably, and they think that you're mentally ill, it might be good to not really speak in that way with those people. But strangers, it could be okay to Give yourself the opportunity to be that self that you would be in that other State of consciousness, so be the highest state of consciousness you can be Be aware of who you're speaking to Are you speaking to a blind person? Are you speaking to somebody who thinks they know you meaning they're even more blind or are you speaking to somebody who? Might want to see what you're saying and what you're talking about And it could just be a playful game, I don't know. The game might actually be make blind people see. I'm always curious about what the game is. Because if it's not a fun game, it's not really worth playing. And even this process of self-dialogue, it's enjoyable, I guess. It's something I can do, it's something that feels like it flows right now though if it was summertime I'd probably be outside more so there might be a season to self-dialogue and it might be a way to reinforce brain cells and reinforce the fluidity of the brain cells I actually feel like this is the harvest self-dialogue is the harvest And also planting seeds, as in growing new brain cells. And then there's the practice, which is in daily life will that which I created as context of a higher level of consciousness arise as what unfolds in my words and language? Or will it be the lower levels and i feel stronger in the higher levels actually because i've talked to myself so much about it so if somebody came up to me and started yakking on about mental illness i would just be like i don't buy it sorry maybe i wouldn't even feel the need to say that i guess part of it is with self-dialogue is getting to a point where one doesn't care if the other person sees or not I remember being in map consciousness the first time and feeling like I could see so much and I wanted my friend to see it and I wanted everybody to see it. And I was like, can you see this? Can you see this? And so excited and it seemed like people could see stuff but if I really think about it, they probably couldn't see what I was talking about but it felt like they could. Whereas there might be in dialogue with other people I think that's the next thing is dialogue with other people and seeing if we can see together not necessarily if they can see what I've said who cares about that because seeing is in the moment so seeing something together in dialogue and after that after I come back from California I might just a bit nuts in terms of changing my appearance just for fun like I don't really feel any desire to but it could be kind of quirky sort of want to embody my mania like look like a maniac even though I don't feel like one it just feels normal now and maybe there are higher energy states that will come in but I don't think it's necessary, per se. Maybe those higher energy states have done their job now. Maybe they just wanted me to talk to myself, just like I talked to myself in the very first time I was in map consciousness. I'm going to that lady today that does the hair analysis, and It's supposed to give epigenetic information. I don't know if she's gonna do live blood cell analysis, but I'm curious just to see the state of my health, of my body. I haven't really been eating healthy for a number of months, just been eating overnight oats and rice with Indian food sauce that's from a package. I remember dr. David Hawkins saying as consciousness goes up the need for resources goes down and I always found that interesting though it doesn't really arise in mind very often but I feel I can see what he's saying at higher levels of consciousness we don't necessarily need so many vitamins so many minerals so many comforts so much food I feel like even at a certain level of consciousness, the world just takes care of the person in some way. Like if somebody's just so joyful and, and has some kind of joyful business and things, it probably just happens wonderfully and organically versus somebody trying to sell ketchup popsicles to a woman in white gloves. And that line is from Tommy Boy movie and part of it too is i feel the body is very relaxed it's not making all this cortisol which drains vitamins which we're not stressed we're not desiring all that desiring wiring probably warps the brain and warps the way the body processes information and vitamins and everything too so and actually i remember when i was doing my rolfing 10 series Halfway through, I realized, I don't need any of this. I don't need any of these vitamins. I don't need any of these things. And I was coming off my meds at the time. And then I failed to come off meds. But maybe it was true at the level of consciousness I was at at that moment. It might have been true that I was right with that insight that I don't need vitamins and minerals and things. But since I wasn't able to stay at that level of consciousness since it wasn't earned as a stage in my brain, it was just a temporary state, then when I went down in consciousness, then I did need those vitamins because my body was not processing energy and nutrients in the same way. And then, and then it wasn't good. Like maybe if I had stayed on the vitamins, I would have been more successful at coming off the medications. So it could be true that an insight at a certain level of consciousness needs to marinate a little bit in order to ensure that it's a stage of consciousness and not just a temporary state. Because if somebody goes into a really high state of consciousness and they think the world is a beautiful and magical place, which it is in that high state, but it's just a state, it's not a stage. So this is where E prime might come in handy. English prime minus the verb to be. And also adding in the time binding element it would be this is a magical and beautiful world at this state of consciousness or I'm really angry at this state of consciousness so it could almost be a different type of English with the verb to be as in how is my being how is my level and state of consciousness and what is unfolding as a perception because of that. And if one hasn't necessarily gone to a certain state of consciousness before, it probably isn't a stage, and it probably isn't permanent. It's probably not embedded yet. It's not embedded in the neurology. It's just there energetically, and the energy has to take time to grow the physiology. And it has to actually be there long enough and it's not just about personal either so if I personally go to a really high level of consciousness and I come back down there might actually be things that I need to resolve at the lower levels in order to earn that stage for example me shedding some of the mental health system stuff would be shedding some of the lower levels and I did that consciously over a period of time instead of I quit just overnight. And I quit overnight could be destabilizing, whereas having proper conversation and dialogue around the release of that level and having others see the validity of releasing that level could be helpful. Even now, my family's a little bit worried about me going to California. Now I could just say, screw you by or I could have dialogue about that transition that might make them see why I would go and then in that way there's not so much worry energy being projected there and it's the same with mental illness diagnosis, supposed illness diagnosis, I've gone along with it for now but i'm ready to start having conversations about how it could be a little bit different and it has to be had at somewhere close to the level of the person how they see it if it's way out there like if i say it's not mental illness it's jesus people aren't going to see that. They might be able to conceptualize that, but they're not going to see it. Whereas if I say all this stuff about neuroplasticity and brain growth, if a person is a scientist in some way, they might see it. If they're not, they might still kind of understand. And the thing is with normal people, so-called normal people, They don't really have a vested interest in understanding it in different ways as much as people who have gone through the process themselves, because they can possibly transform and thrive. Though I do feel that it is of value in that if regular people could learn how to see and grow their brain again, then we'd be all doing the same thing. Again, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I have a few lines on my computer screen, but 70% I make up on the go. I'm thinking that one day I'll just talk and I won't have any prompts at all. In map consciousness, we see higher values and we see the old values as valueless. When we see those higher values, we want to create in terms of those values and that's what creates a new world. So again, the most fundamental thing is seeing. And I was thinking about how we can be walking and trip over a rock and be tripped up by something we didn't see. And I feel like thoughts are like rocks in consciousness. They trip up consciousness, yet we don't see them. We don't really see the thoughts, we don't really see what the thoughts are doing and we don't even see that we're tripping over them we're tripping on them we're having a bad trip consciousness came here to energize the entire brain not just a few linear thought structures came to see the whole field of the world not just the field of thought seems that the ego localizes consciousness so i had the experience of being a bird flying south And I could feel the flock all around me and my consciousness went other places as well and then it came back and was localized again. So it could just be that when the ego is really gone then consciousness becomes non-local and can go anywhere. So it has to come back, it has to almost choose to come back because consciousness decided to go and be a bird. It could have stayed that bird. I feel like matter could be scar tissue of the light world. So there's a light body realm and we're trying to shed the world of matter, which is a phenomenon of consciousness which I feel is more created when sound interacts with gravity. It's like the ego is a vortex of sound that traps consciousness. It's almost like a sound wave, we think of a wave going like this, but if the wave is also traveling on the other axis, then it would actually be more like a funnel. And so this funnel is what traps consciousness and puts the attention on that sound, on that thought stream, and then projects that into reality and gets us to pay attention to that, to pay with our attention to that thought, as opposed to what's actually happening right there in front of us. And the ego that traps consciousness with this sound wave is what also warps our center of gravity, partially it warps our center of consciousness. It creates a center of consciousness instead of consciousness being a locus that we don't control. This sound wave is partially what warps our eye muscles and that is what gets our attention put in the wrong direction. We're perceiving our inner images on our mind screen as opposed to receiving the entire impression of the light of the universe coming into our eyes. So this consciousness being trapped by thought by sound is what warps the light coming into our eyes and this thought, sound, consciousness wave is what creates the image on the inside on our mind screen as the light comes in as opposed to having the light come in unaffected by thought and when it comes in unaffected by thought we see what's actually there right in front of us and we can act on what's there in front of us instead of reacting to what's there On our mind screen which is in front of our lens in terms of it's in our eyes it's in our brain it's on our mind screen and that is what warps what's coming in we don't see what's coming in and then if we don't see what's coming in we can't give voice to what's coming in and I'm not sure but I feel like enlightenment is just seeing with a clear mind screen and giving voice to what one sees which is connection which is relationship which is patterns, which is processes, not things, and separation, and division, and judgment, and opinion, and the me, which is a sound separating itself from the light, instead of the light coming in and creating sound, which is a celebration of the light that's coming in, because it's actually what's coming in. It's not being distorted and warped by the neural networks of the ego. So does consciousness get filtered through thought and energized thought, which warps the brain, which gets the dopamine brain forming to such extremes or does it get channeled like roots into the whole brain? So when we have this inner sound of the ego happening, it's like this inner mouth that we have and it's talking in our head all the time. And each time it says something, it's like it opens the valve and lets that sound through. And when that sound's coming through, the light comes through and creates the image based on the sound. And it can't allow the light to come through that valve and then actually give voice and create the sound. So that stream of thought is preventing, the stream of sound as thought is creating the image and is preventing the stream of light to come in and create the sound so it's a voice and a perception reversal process and it's confusing it takes a while to get used to perceiving and speaking in this way it's giving voice to what we see seeing connection instead of giving voice to what we me the division we use sound to separate ourselves from everything else and then we live in a bubble of our own sound and I'm wondering about map consciousness, I said in a recent video to myself that map consciousness gives us gifts, I'm wondering if it gives us gifts or if it just removes the impediments, the false elements that have been added to us over time and reveals the gifts we already had so this way of perceiving is natural we already had it So it's not necessarily a gift, it's just removing that which is blocking that original ability, that original innate ability of being a human being. And if the ego voice is making us tense, and then when we go through map consciousness that relieves some of the tension, and then we're able to sing, for example. Well, had we never been tensed up from the ego, we might have been able to sing all along. So thought is touching the past, thought is being in touch with the past while being in the present and thus the present moment is distorted by the past. I remember when I was first in map consciousness six years ago I thought of a concept called see minders instead of reminders meaning what I was talking about before leaving something out as a reminder to do something, as opposed to putting it on a to-do list. This can't be done with everything, but some things it can. And I feel like it at least prompts the visual field to pick up on what is around us. If we have the same thing sitting there all the time, we're not gonna see it. But if we move something, if we put something close to another object that we know we're going to go near, then we'll see it and we'll remember to do it. At that time and so in this way we allow our natural relaxed attention to see things so if we were going around with a pinhole focus all day long it would be unlikely that we would actually see that thing that we put out to remind ourselves of something but having that thing out it starts to train our visual field to to look for our reminders, it's a subconscious process. And it actually works on distraction, on non-focus. So if I'm focusing in terms of thinking, and then I see that thing, I just got distracted, but in a good way, because I probably saw it at the right moment that I needed it, and I probably saw it right when I was sort of intending to see it based on where I put it. And it also works on seeing connection and relationship. So in order to put it somewhere where I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna see it later, I have to see the relatedness of the thing I'm gonna put it beside. So I might put it beside my keys because I know I need it for when I'm going out. And we already do this, it's just a matter of Being aware of expanding this process as a way to be able to have more attention in the visual field. And realize actually that our relaxed perception will pick out exactly what we need at the exact moment we need it. And once this is done in the visual field of actual objects, when we're able to relax our focus of thought to the point we're not actually thinking anything at all. As soon as we need something in terms of a thought form, it will arise in consciousness. We think we have to have this stream of thoughts to actually remember stuff, but we can put things in our visual field and then we can actually do the same thing inside, which is have a completely empty consciousness and realize that very slight thought forms arise right when needed. And they actually arise even more effectively and efficiently when needed when we don't have this stream of thoughts going on. So some people might go out the door and forget the keys to the office and because they're thinking about something else. Whereas if imagine the same person has a completely empty mind they might be actually holding the door handle to open the door to leave and it arises in mind that they forgot their keys. So remaining on the same track prevents this distraction from happening, this unfocusing, this zooming out that happens. When we zoom out we can actually see the whole field and seeing the whole field is more powerful than being zoomed in to a thought form stream of words of abstractions those are the real distraction it's creating one track and that in that one track we can't see so it might be good to set up one's environment in order to be able to see this is sort of like what Krishnamurti talks about with choiceless awareness having a track that we're following in terms of thought is a choice in that it's a direction it's a path it's a focus when we're not focusing things arise And now if something arises that we decide we desire, well, we just chose that and now we're focusing on it and we're no longer in choiceless awareness. And I feel like when something arises, one can either act on it or it acts on you. So it might be something that I need to act on. It just arises out of nowhere that I need to grab something for work. And then I go and do it. Or I have the same choiceless awareness, relaxed perception, and I have an insight into something and I can give voice to it, or I can write it down, or I can just forget about it. I definitely don't remember much of what I say. So the thing about C-minders is having the thing itself remind us instead of a word about the thing. So putting out the nail clippers as opposed to writing on a piece of paper, cut nails. It gets the brain moving toward direct perception and action. And action when it's perceiving that that's the moment to do it. and i feel like when we're giving voice to some of the things we see that are out there that other people can't see so-called hallucinations and delusions we're not actually talking about our hallucinations and delusions we're talking about a place in consciousness we're talking about a level of consciousness and what that level of consciousness creates we can see what it creates because it's the vision reversal process we can see from that level of consciousness and project the pattern of what that will create. And we can already do that to a certain extent. We already try to predict things. We already try to manipulate things. So yeah, I'm going to the hair analysis appointment and I might do a video after, I'm not sure. So I'm back from my appointment with the blood lady as I call her because she does live blood cell analysis and she recently added this hair analysis test to her repertoire so I thought I would go and give it a try and I've seen her twice before in the last 10 years and I'm always impressed with her wisdom and she's always learning more and more she's not the type to just get her little technique and just sit back but it was kind of funny because I had emailed her and I forgot that I emailed her and she said oh I read your email I said I don't even remember what I put and then she told me I put stuff about bipolar so she was saying do you struggle more with anxiety or depression and I said I actually my main thing is psychosis and then I told her about some stuff that might have precipitated it six years ago and I told her how I have this tendency to dissociate how I'll have this slight sense that I'm me but I'll also feel like I'm a homeless person and then I'm terrified and I told her a few other little tidbits and then It was really funny because she looks at me and says it could be something else it could be parallel realities and I was just laughing on the inside because the stuff she went on to talk about is exactly what I've been talking about to myself over the last number of months and so I told her that hey that's actually how I see it I was just sort of speaking in the language that most people understand it by she said that i shifted into a different world and then she talked about how we're in more than one world at once and and there's this quantum physicist named cynthia larson who wrote a book called quantum jumps so she wrote a book about how the brain can jump reality we can jump states, we can be in different realities, how we're connected, we're non-local, and she said quantum means connected. So, quantum consciousness would be a different way to say trans-consciousness in a way. I already feel like consciousness is holographic and it's a quantum computer. I haven't really talked that much about it because I don't really know that much about it but when I saw that little bit about the superposition it made me feel like there's 16 realities existing simultaneously and then when our brain quantumly computes it it collapses the wave function around the probability of the resonance that we were at it's almost like we have 16 heads It just depends which head is looking and and it moves us in that direction. And we're moving around like that. So it seems like this woman, Cynthia Larson, is another person writing about this experience that people have in consciousness, in reality. The fact that reality isn't static, it's fluid, it's dynamic. And then some people go into this fluid and dynamic state and the people that aren't in the fluid and dynamic state observe those people and collapse the wave function around those people being mentally ill. To me, the people that are calling us mentally ill are the people that actually need to grow and recover. Recover from being so linear and being so localized in their consciousness and and their eyes and their vision we're actually medicating people out of having these quantum jumps happen. So I find it really interesting, there's all these normal people trying to research getting into these quantum jumping states, these flow states and whatever you want to call it, yet the people that go there uncontrollably, because that's the only way you can go there, you can't go there by control per se, you can start to learn the rules a person that goes there without control actually needs to learn the rules of how to actually remain in regular consciousness so how to not flow how to not quantum jump whereas people that are normal are finding these laws of consciousness through physics through research through looking at people in extreme sports and and measuring their metrics of things Because these are the people, the scientists have been trained to research this stuff. And they have all this, and they've invested all this money in learning how to research. And then they learn how to research consciousness. Or they learn how to research flow. And they look at those people that are flowing in their bodies through mastering gravity through some kind of extreme sport. And then they think, well, how can I do that? The I can't do that. The I is the ego, and that's linear. And that other state is nonlinear. And so, since the I can't do that, it's something else that does that. And that something else can come in and do it, whether the I likes it or not. And when that happens, it's called mental illness. So I'm just not understanding why people aren't extrapolating this to people that go into these extreme states of consciousness organically and help them learn how to manage those extreme states of consciousness and learn how to walk between two worlds instead of saying, you're defective, we're gonna chemicalize you, we're gonna medicate you, we're gonna throw all these toxins in your body so you don't go in those states. Meanwhile, I'm gonna go over and read a book on how to flow. I'm a psychiatrist making lots of money medicating people and then I'm gonna go and read a book on flow and how to get in these flow states. When I'm medicating flow states, I'm not saying that there's people doing that, I'm just trying to give an example of how it's hypocritical and it's ridiculous and how supposed mental illness is too much flow, it's overflow, it's over quantum computation and one has to actually learn how to slow their brain down. the brain has gone into hyper learning and hyper perception and then we come back down to the level of reality that most people are at and it seems like the dinosaur age and our brains want to go at a million miles an hour yet we're in this dinosaur perception of things and so it looks like we can't function when really our minds are functioning at a higher level but it just appears that it's not And if we can't function, it's like tripping over the rocks of all the dinosaur artifacts that we've placed in this reality that we think have some kind of value, like nine to five jobs and all this crap and all this competition and all this brutality. And then we wonder why a person who has just come back from inner space travel can barely move in this reality. It's because this reality is like molasses for somebody whose brain is super hyper perceptive and then person is medicalized and medicated and then they're even more like molasses and then regular people think that they've done this person a favor I just don't like how these elements of consciousness are being discovered by research and then put into how-to steps when there's so many people out there who need to know how not to. And if the people who went into flow spontaneously didn't get pathologized, but were unconditionally loved and held for their brains to integrate back into consensus speed we would be able to walk together hand in hand to that beautiful world that we're all trying to perceive instead of having some people pushed to the margins of society and then the ones that manage to function in this insane society and have the money then go on to learn how to flow it's messed up regular people go into jobs making money off of people that are in flow and medicate them and then use that money to go off and learn how to be in flow or higher states of consciousness or better this or better that. The better exists without us having to try to do anything and that happens to people and then they fall back into the gravity of this gravitational field of this level of consciousness of seeing things. And have stories to tell and things to say and things to share but are not listened to they're just labeled so yeah partly annoys me that there's all of this wonderful spirituality out there people are like how do I get to that spiritual place and again flow or quantum jumps I don't feel are for personal gain. There's no such thing as personal gain. It's interesting, I was talking in a video earlier today about cold water and getting used to the cold water and the lady I talked to today talked about how cold water is so good for you. She talked about this lady who did research and, and helped a lot of people cure different ailments just by putting really cold water on their crotch. Now that is out there, but I think that's awesome. And I'm gonna try it. That's definitely something a manic would do. And it's funny too, she actually said, it could be that you're special And I don't necessarily think I'm special, but it's not often to find a practitioner where you say that you have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and they say, it's a different dimension, it's alternate realities, it's parallel realities, and you're special. And the hardships you experience that perhaps spurred some of this could be just a gift. And to look into things like quantum jumping I do like discovering the ways that people are talking about it in these empowering ways. I just really wish that it was extrapolated to supposed mental illness. And I don't know about all the supposed mental illnesses, I don't really know enough about all the labels, but things like psychosis, bipolar, schizophrenia, where people experience psychosis, like weirdness. This weirdness, it's all properties of consciousness. And consciousness is exploring consciousness and consciousness is discovering the properties and the rules of consciousness. And we think they are A hits B and B hits C and it goes on like that, but it's its not a billiard ball universe. It's the quality of one's consciousness. And then I was watching another video about a guy and I didn't watch the whole thing. I couldn't really watch it. I didn't really resonate with him. Though I'm sure I resonated with what he said. But he was talking about increasing your frequency. And I I didn't watch far enough to discover how he said to go about doing that. I still feel, though, that there is a slight difference between trying to increase one's frequency through effort through will through motivation through drive through that mode is egoic and any movement of the ego is going to actually lower the frequency So the frequency of the ego might be able to get to a certain height by thinking lovely thoughts But I don't feel that that changes the brain in the same way that Direct perception in the moment and understanding does So I might think some kind of positive affirmation It's going to change the brain a bit but I don't think it's going to create a stage. It might create a state which has some value only if from that state we then act different. So if I create a state in my brain by saying some positive affirmation that is a certain level and I just sit there and enjoy that state and then continue to sit there and then it kind of wears off and then I get up and go about my day. I don't think that really does much of anything. It might temporarily reduce the stress in the brain or something like that. But it's not the same as embodied action. It's not the same as giving it a voice out loud because then there's more input. You're actually moving your mouth and you're saying the words. You're actually hearing the words. Um, And In self dialogue I see myself say it when I watch the video afterwards so there's more inputs whereas and I feel that's a stronger vibration when the vibration is actually coming out of us and then going back through us it's more powerful than if we're just having that vibration create images and words in our consciousness that's what the ego does and that's the very thing that's preventing us from direct perception. So if we're constantly doing things like that to sort of self-medicate our brain, it's, it, will do, it will do something, but it's not the same as actually seeing. So I can work myself into a positive state through that process of visualization and saying stuff in my own head, and then go about my crappy life as it is for the next 20 years, and then afterwards think, holy crap, I just lived a life I didn't wanna live because I was working myself into a trance. That's the same as taking a pill to go about my crappy life. Now it's different to actually be so present, be so clear, be so perceptive, that I see the crap and get rid of it and by getting rid of the crap it makes space for something else and then something else continues to unfold and then all of a sudden I'm walking out a life that I don't need to create some kind of precondition in my mind in order to be one with And I'm not saying state change isn't valuable, I'm just pointing out its limited value. Because if we're always thinking we need new methods to change our state, for example, if I have a certain method to change my state into a happy state, eventually I'm going to be adapted to that. And I'm going to need something new to be able to do the same thing. And so I haven't actually done anything real in my brain except get it habituated to something. And it's created sort of a scar in my brain. So now I have to create some new habits, some new programs, some new protocol in order to create another scar in my brain. And then when that scar gets old and boring, so it becomes another dopamine reflex in my view. And there's a lot of talk about visualization. And even this woman the quantum physicist talks about visualizing. And I actually never visualize anything. I don't see anything in my head. I I don't see anything. I don't see any images or have any thoughts. And that gives me access to insight, which is something subtle, which is a gentle and subtle form that forms inside that informs me what I'm seeing and what to say but if I have that clogged up with my own visualizations I'm not gonna see what's right there in front of me I feel like it's possible the only real power that visualization really has is if we happen to visualize something that is congruent with what the mind wants us to create. So Dr. Daniel Siegel says, the mind uses the brain to create itself. Well, right now, the brain is being used by thought to create what thought thinks should be created. But when we decouple from that, we're in touch with perception, each moment, which creates the action we do, which moment by moment will unfold a different world when we're in touch with that. Now, if we're sitting here visualizing, we're not in touch with direct perception. Yet, people who go into map consciousness, they actually get the imprint, the blueprint from the universe, the download of what it is we're here to create. And that could be a reason why we can be more in touch with direct perception afterwards, as we go throughout life, as long as we're not medicated into a stupor. Because we've already seen it. So it's, it's a, a different kind of moving towards the mind. We've seen what the mind wants to tell us and then we go backwards in time in order to move towards unfolding that. So if somebody's visualizing and they're visualizing themselves on a cruise and whatever and then all of a sudden they visualize something about homeless people being fed could be that by visualizing that, and that's part of what the mind wants us to create, there'll be some kind of power in that visualization. So the more bits of one's visualization, of one's desire that's in alignment with the collective mind of what we're here to unfold collectively as humanity, like a colony of ants creating an ant hill in all the tunnels. We similarly are one consciousness that is unfolding something together. And I don't know if that's true about the visualization. It's still an act of will. We don't need will to see. Seeing just happens, and when we happen to see, something else happens. That doesn't require will. It's a subtle difference, but even with all this flow stuff and this other stuff, it's all being sold for personal gain. And when somebody goes there organically through the transconscious process and is thrust into it, there's no time to even think about personal gain. It's. It's full immersion without thinking I'm doing this step one because it's gonna make me feel better and step two This is gonna make me look better and step three. This is gonna make me more productive and step four No, it's just full immersion. You don't know the rules You don't know all these rules of consciousness and how it works like they're trying to say to us now through flow and quantum jumps and all that it's we already jumped and now we've come back from the quantum those of us that come back not everybody comes back some people see, oh there's nothing left for me to do here i'll be living in the light body realm with the rest of the people who were brave enough to cross over and then those of us that don't have something to do but that's turned into being drugged, and the world doesn't see what it's doing to its fallen angels, and I'm not surprised because adults who go through this get drugged, children get drugged, People who go through this process make other people uncomfortable. And then those very same people who are uncomfortable are like, "Oh, look at this thing about flow. I think another benefit of self-dialogue is making my body real by seeing myself more. The phone becomes a witness. It becomes a collapser of the wave function. Because if I'm alone, With consciousness consciousness can go anywhere and at least this is me talking about consciousness going somewhere else while being here now so it's in a way it's existing in both worlds it's a way of walking between the worlds it's a way of walking in this world and consciousness walking in another world and then walking myself And maybe other people through it because it would be lovely if normal people could get into quantum consciousness if they could get into flow and if more and more of them are in flow when us spontaneous leapers go into that dimension there'll be more people to talk to and there'll be more of us already up there could almost be that those of us who are medicated have to wait for more people to go up there before we can join you we kind of have to hold down the fort down here in the old the thing is if we were released from our chemical prisons the consciousness level of humanity would level up significantly if people were more understanding not of mental illness but just of consciousness in general, and the powers of the human brain, and learning, and neuroplasticity. The problem is that humanity is just too stupid. So medications are only valuable in that they slow down the quantum computation by changing the amount of information we can see in our visual field. Because we compute by seeing. So this is just a quick video to myself. I'll probably have to talk more about it later because I have to work all day today. But I wanted to talk about it while it was still fresh in my mind. So last night I did that thing where I put the cold cloth on my crotch. And then I went to bed. and. And I wasn't wearing any sweatpants. Usually I wear sweatpants and like a hoodie to bed just to stay warm and I have a space heater. But I didn't wear any pants for some reason. And then I woke up all of a sudden and my heart was beating really, really fast. And it was beating fast, sort of like how it beats fast when I feel terrorized, like a homeless person. And I've had that experience where my heart starts beating really fast and I'm already sort of breaking down into psychosis as it's understood currently. And then if that terrorizing heartbeat is accompanied by terrorizing thoughts, then it spirals. So I remember having that when I was in the psych ward in April, I woke up from not even really being asleep and I felt like I was bleeding out from the neck and I couldn't move until it finished. And then I got up and told the nurses, but, so this was similar in that I sort of woke up and my heart was beating so fast and I felt scared, but since I didn't let any story about it happen, I just had this sense that it wasn't gonna last and that there was no need to add panic to this physiological sensation. I didn't need to add a story about why I was that terrified because I could see that I was in my bed. And I've had that once before when I woke up, I was falling asleep and I woke up all of a sudden my heart was beating really fast and I felt like I might have to kill myself. And then that's when I enacted my plan to get my handcuffs to handcuff myself to a pipe so I couldn't do anything bad to myself. And by the time I'd sort of gathered things to do that, I felt like I didn't have to anymore. I felt like I didn't have to tether my body like I did that very first time. And then, so having the handcuffs made me feel safe in that being able to realize that I could stop myself from doing something bad, even if I would still be experiencing some inner turmoil, that gave me that safety and that calmness to not add more panic to it, not knowing I didn't have a plan to save myself. A lot of times it might look like people have a plan to to end their life, but it could be just that they don't have a plan to save their life. And I always have my zap strap right beside my bed, and I could secure myself to the bed frame if need be. So I sort of had a sense of that, but I didn't feel like I needed that at all while I was waiting for this heartbeat terror to stop. But I did have a sense, oh, I could take a Seroquel, because I keep four Seroquel right beside my bed. It's enough to knock me out pretty good, I think. So I could just take the Cerequil, or I could zap-strap myself and then take the Cerequil. There's a number of things I could do. And since that happened, it probably is a good idea for me to not deadbolt my door because if I do zapstrap myself, somebody has the key to my place and I could call them because my phone's always beside my bed with a charger and they would be able to come and unfasten me. And I would likely wait until I was calm so I wasn't being met while I'm in a panic. And so I waited for my heart to stop pounding and it probably only took a minute. And I thought maybe it was four in the morning but I checked the time and it was like 10.30 so an hour after I went to sleep and then after my heart stopped beating like that, I was absolutely freezing cold. I was shaking and the only times I've been that cold and shaking are when I'm pretty much on the way to the psych ward because I'm shaking feeling like I'm a homeless person And I'm shaking before and I'm shaking when somebody comes to find me and take me to the psych ward and I do feel that there's something to this whole shaking thing it's almost like the heart beats faster the blood flows more and then the body gets cold and sort of shakes it off and and how they talk about going in cold water is very healing. It's almost like getting rid of inflammation. It's getting rid of a lot of different things. The blood lady even told me it gets rid of the radiation stored in our body somehow. So I feel like that can happen without having to go into cold water. The body goes into this cold shaking process. And it's not necessarily pleasant, but I feel it's almost like shaking something off shaking off some entropy shaking off some old information instead of shaking off the inflammation by going in cold water it's almost like shaking off information shaking off old realities and i probably will buy this book called quantum jumps even though i prefer to just unfold things for myself but seeing as i'm going to california the more framework and context I have for understanding consciousness, deciding to travel a little bit, or that our consciousness exists in multiple realities and we can sort of shift between those realities in an instant. And thinking about it, she was saying, the lady that wrote the book, Cynthia Larson, was saying, have you ever had an experience where something was there and then it wasn't and then it was there? Well, I remember the first time I went to the psych ward I got in the elevator, and I went down a floor. I was supposed to go down two floors, but it stopped on the floor below. And I saw a flash of a nurse, probably one of those nurses that pushes the cart because she's doing all the blood tests. And then the door closed. And then the elevator went down. And then the door opened. And it was the exact same scene. Exact. And it wasn't my imagination. So I'm seeing now that it's sort of like multiple realities happening in parallel dimensions and consciousness being in more than one and it's freaking confusing. And the very first time I was the most confused and as time goes on it's less confusing and maybe because it happens less or maybe because as consciousness moves through time it's sort of collapsing the multiple realities, because I actually feel, like the blood lady said, that I was sort of thrust into a different reality, and I feel and I feel that happened six years ago when I was in a situation that wasn't good, and I feel like some other element of consciousness actually had to come in, take over my body in order for me to get out of there, and so since then I've kind of been part me, part other realities. And it's almost like when some kind of miracle happens and it's sort of hard to explain, like how did, how did a person get out of that situation? Like it doesn't make sense. That's another thing the blood lady mentioned was something about wormholes. I think we can go through a wormhole and our consciousness goes through a wormhole and then we end up in a different version of our body and I think that's the way I was able to get out of that bad scenario that I won't elaborate on. But ever since that time, it's almost like I don't know if it's like using up karma points, but it's using up some kind of fuel. It's like I like to, I used to think it's good to have the universe on my side. And Sometimes something happens where the universe is really on my side and it's like oh crap that used up a lot of that energy Because the universe had used so much capacity because to help me out in that situation I had a situation where my iPhone was stolen and I asked the universe to give me my iPhone back and I went home and I found it on Craigslist and I went and I got the phone off the person who took my phone and it was sort of like a mission impossible scenario but I realized that the universe really helped me out there and and I'm really feeling that when a person has When a person is having all these weird experiences, it says more about reality than it says about the person. And the fact that so many people have similar processes, they're not necessarily the same experiences, but similar processes happening. Seeing something that's not there and all these things, it could have something to do more with multiple realities and the fluidity of reality and the fluidity of consciousness and our myopic view about how reality unfolds so linearly and thinking back now that I've been alerted to this framework of quantum jumps it, it makes it makes sense and so all of this context I've built through talking to myself I think saved me in a way because that experience last night lasted maybe five minutes between the heart pounding and being kinda scared and then freezing cold and then having to get up, put on pants, turn on my space heater to a higher temperature, really change my body position to warm myself up. And then I just went back to sleep instead of thinking like, oh my god, like I'm getting ill. It was just this almost like this leap into past consciousness maybe shedding some of the past stuff and I was able to just witness it and and go through it and even having the context I created about the entropy and the change in temperature of the body and and the heart beating faster and how that feeds information to consciousness and blah, blah, blah. All of the stuff I talked about. I just had a phone call. I don't remember, I think I was saying, I guess creating a language in a way, for myself at least, for how I understand my body is talking to me when it, has a fast heartbeat or is shivering like that for no reason, for no apparent reason and then also thinking about entropy and all these different elements even though that part isn't being told to me in my mind in a linear fashion like, oh this means this and this means that that context has been created in my brain cells and in all the cells of my body by talking in my own voice and bathing myself in this context through my own voice. And I didn't freak out at all. Whereas if the cells, if the DNA, if the cells of the brain had a different context, like this means I'm decompensating, this means I need to call for help, this means I am dying, this means whatever, then I likely would have panicked. So there's a difference between the body doing something and panicking about it. So I guess just leaving that deadbolt unlocked and being watchful, because I've had some Weird things lately. Weird things that are really weird, but they're also very spaced out and they're not gaining momentum. They're not taking me over and pulling me down to those other levels of consciousness, maybe because higher levels of context, of consciousness through which consciousness can perceive the world have been created in my brain, and I don't know if this is true, but I feel like it's possible, because I feel, I don't know if I want to say stronger, but I feel sort of nonchalant about it. So yeah, I gotta get going, but hopefully I'll get to talk to myself a bit later, I might not, so it's sort of a short video day. I've been doing some long days recently. I'll probably buy that book and read it because I have a sense that it will be very similar to what I'm saying and provide a framework that a physicist has created and maybe fill in a few gaps and I really feel like I need those rules, I need that map in order to be able to celebrate living in that land of map making with that other compass, with the compass of consciousness and perception